0: He brutally dealt with the victim, even though she begged. Bloodstains is all over the floor. A brutal, cruel, and horrible murder of 66-year-old Marie Collins on Easter Saturday in 2020 and her brother Wayne Johnson, 62, the following day shaken the whole beautiful Australia. Welcome back to our channel. Today, we come to one of Australia's most brutal murder cases and the killer has an unexpected background. He even ate and slept at the victim's house very naturally, without feeling guilty. He is Luke Fawcett. Luke was a man that most people would believe from the beginning because of his charisma, youth, and the fact that he was a psychologist. Yet, hidden beneath his mask was a heartless and deluded murderer. So what is the motive for this heinous crime? How are the detailed plans drawn up? Take a deep breath and join us through the door of darkness. We will unravel this terrifying case. This is the situation that Luke Fawcett finds himself in. Unbeatable weather, beaches that will take your breath away, and a superb culture that balances work and life. Naturally, I'm referring to Australia when I say this. In spite of the fact that immigration levels have been on a modest downward trend in recent years, Australia maintains a very high ranking among the most desirable nations in the world to settle in. And there's a valid explanation for it. The majority of what individuals are seeking can be found in Australia, including a diverse collection of contemporary cities, all of which are positioned in a climate that is warm and fulfilling an exceptional healthcare system and a dynamic outdoor culture. The isolation of the country from the rest of the world is both a strength and a weakness, depending on how you look at it. If you lived in Perth, the capital of Australia, you would have to drive almost 1,300 miles in order to reach Adelaide, the city that is immediately adjacent to Perth. However, This does not prevent more than 1.4 million people from calling Perth their home. Marie Collins was one of those people who made their home in the City of Light. In the year 2020, Marie was just starting off in her senior years, when she was in her prime. And by the time she reached the age of 66, she had reached the senior years of adulthood and was eagerly anticipating a more relaxed and tranquil way of life. She was the second youngest of her family of six children, following in the footsteps of her brother Wayne Johnson, who was the youngest of the lot. Marie was a devout follower of Christ, who was very involved in the life of her local church community, and took part in a wide variety of church-related events. And because of the kind of person that she is, she never turned away anyone who was in need of assistance. In addition to that, She was exceptionally talented in the areas of style and domesticity, and she spent some of her time working in a local clothes store. As we develop into adults, every one of us does it with a unique degree of childlike curiosity. While some of us want to see everything the world has to offer, others just want to find a place to call home. And in Marie's case, the latter was by far the more accurate description. Marie had saved enough money by the time she was in the middle of her twenties to be able to rent an apartment in Washington Gardens, which is situated on Leonard Street and is located southeast of the Perth city center. Not only would this be her first house, but it would also remain her home for the rest of her life, as evidenced by the fact that she was still residing there 40 years later. That makes perfect sense to me. An apartment on the top level, not only located close to the city, but also overlooks it. In addition to impressive views, there are four bedrooms and two baths. She achieved a lot of success in the real estate industry. Within these walls, Marie lived through a lifetime of events, including birthday celebrations, first dates, her wedding, and even her tragic passing. Her husband passed away at a young age in the year 2001, and because they did not have any children, their home continued to be headed by only her. Marie's childhood house was the one constant in her life as she matured into an adult and experienced many changes in the world around her, and it's likely for this reason that she guarded it with such vigilance. The venue was consistently praised by visitors for its inviting ambience, coziness, and warmth. In the year 2020, Marie was also in the process of undergoing more improvements. Despite the fact that she did not have a spouse, children, or any other dependents, she maintained a robust social life with her family and friends. And given that her flat was so cozy, It was only natural that she enjoyed entertaining guests. She was also quite skilled with mobile phones and computers, and she would message her friends pretty much every day. Considering how young she was, this was pretty impressive. This is the reason why, on the Saturday before Easter Sunday, it was really strange when she went into complete silence all of a sudden. Marie's weekend on the 11th of April, 2020, began the same way it does every other weekend. She got up early in the morning and had some coffee before putting on her shoes and walking over to Swanbourne Beach. Not long after that, she went to her sister Helen's house in Mount Claremont, which is located just west of Perth Center. Marie arrived back at her house only a few minutes after 1 o'clock. However, as she was inside the apartment, she remembered that she had neglected to give Helen a spare key to the main gates of her apartment complex as she made her way through the front entrance. They, too, had just finished off some repairs not long ago, and as part of the process, they had changed the locks. Bree informed her sister over the phone that the next time they saw each other, she would hand over a key to her. But there was complete stillness following that phone call. The family did not start to become concerned until the next morning. After placing the ham in the oven, Helen checked on it at around 10 o'clock. She texted Marie, asking if she was free for lunch, but she did not receive a response. She sent another text message 20 minutes later, but she received no response. Helen tried to phone her sister at 11.30, but there was once again no answer to her call. After that, she didn't have much time to ponder since her sister sent her a message just two minutes later. She didn't have much time to think because she didn't have much time after that. My apologies for not picking up your call earlier, Helen. I am feeling extremely ill. Bless you all and have a blessed Easter. In response, Helen said, May I call you? We had been worried. That was followed by Marie's response, which was, I have lost my voice. Unfortunately, as I said, I'm quite ill. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your ideas. The first stillness that Marie maintained was odd, but what truly worried Helen was the way that she was speaking. Something about this didn't sound at all like Marie, because she was concerned for the welfare of her sister. She decided to give her brother Wayne a call. He and his son, who was 12 at the time, lived only a few blocks away from Marie's apartment, so it's possible that he may stop by and check on her to ensure that she's doing okay. And after texting Marie but not receiving a response from her, in addition to it, he started to worry. Just now exited Marie, he said in a message that he had sent to Helen. No response. I'm checking out of this HJ and heading up immediately. After that, there was complete silence. As soon as he arrived at her place, Wayne, like everyone else, became completely silent. Even though she tried very hard to get in touch with Marie and, more recently, Wayne, none of them picked up the phone when she called them or responded to her text messages. It was as if her flat on the top floor of the building on Leonard Street had suddenly turned into a void, making it impossible for any kind of communication to enter or exit the building. Helen's worries eventually developed into a sense of bewilderment and anxiety as the hours passed by. The fact that Marie was being silent was a challenge to the intellect, but Wayne was aware that Helen was becoming concerned. It was illogical for him to treat her in such a careless manner all of a sudden. She had been making many phone calls over the course of the last three hours, and she had now reached her breaking point. Helen might want assistance in order to pass through the front gate, but she already owns a spare key to her sister's apartment. As a result, she proceeded to Leonard Street in her vehicle, accompanied by her son-in-law for protection. After meeting Marie's next-door neighbor at the gate, the three discovered that Helen's and Wayne's vehicles were both parked on the property. This was hardly encouraging information. They were all interested to see what was occurring behind Number 35 as it approached the front door, so they made their way up to the eighth level of the building. The air was thick with the weight of silence, and the apartment did not produce a single audible sound in any of its rooms. Why, after Marie's 40-plus years of residency in this location, did it all of a sudden feel so cold and forbidding? The sound of metal being shoved into the lock, which is a familiar sound. She twisted the key in the lock before she heard a soft click coming from the door. And with careful pressure, Helen opened the door. However. Her son-in-law and the neighbor dragged her away before she could even put one foot into the apartment to aid him. They were able to see, through the gap in the doorway, a huge sheet for a trampoline that was wrapped in yellow rope. In addition, there was the dead body of Wayne Johnson behind it. They slammed the door, raced downstairs, and then dialed 911 to report the situation. The unexpected finding was disheartening, upsetting, and difficult to process all at once, despite the fact that their silence made sense at this point. Nothing else did. The tragic reality was that it was evident that these two people had been murdered. But how could anyone in their right mind do anything like that? Both Marie and Wayne had a lot of support and admiration in the areas in which they lived. The police arrived at the site in a very short amount of time, and as soon as they stepped foot inside the flat, they were able to ascertain with absolute certainty that both Marie and Wayne had been victims of a very severe incident. It is quite evident that a fight broke out over the entirety of the property. The furniture was shattered, and the contents were dispersed across the floor. Blood was located in various locations throughout the flat along with empty beer cans and lemonade bottles that were strewn about the place. A used taser, a huge hunting knife, a letter opener, and a bread knife were found among the bodies and other debris. Both Marie and Wayne had received many stab wounds, with Marie having 24 and Wayne having 25, in addition to 10 other injuries caused by sharp force. And whoever was to blame for this was nowhere to be found in the vicinity anymore. The police moved swiftly to begin their investigations after receiving the report. But where do you even start when you have a crime scene like this? There were no obvious traces of a break-in, and given that it was the top level of an apartment building with eight floors, it is highly improbable that the murderer entered through one of the windows. Therefore, there were two possibilities. Either the murderer had a spare key, or Marie trusted her gifts enough to let them inside the house without checking IDs. And with brand new locks installed, the former scenario didn't seem very possible. The investigation into Marie's family and friends' histories and location was going to take some time, but at least for the time being. The investigators could make headway with individuals who were in close proximity to them. However, despite the frightened neighbors and futile investigations, they were able to uncover one fairly unsettling piece of evidence. Officers took advantage of the opportunity to look through the building's windows while they were in the process of registering license plates in the building's parking lot in the event that it gave any useful information in addition, a receipt from a local Benning's hardware shop indicating a transaction that took place at 6.43 p.m. was found on the dashboard of one of these automobiles. The 11th of April, on a Saturday, these things, including a blue tarpaulin and a yellow rope, had been acquired from a Benning's warehouse in Belmont just the previous evening. The police moved swiftly to check the vehicle's identification numbers against West Australia's driver's license database, and not long after that, they discovered that the vehicle belonged to a local resident of Washington Gardens. In fact, he was Marie's neighbor on the other side of the door. Yuk Fawcett was his name, and at the time, he was 27 years old. At the time. He was renting a one-bedroom apartment just across the hall from Marie. A cursory investigation into his criminal history revealed nothing particularly noteworthy, with the exception of a few traffic violations and two minor convictions for the use of illegal narcotics. But he did not have a history of violent behavior, and one could argue that he was just a young and impulsive child growing up with divorced parents. A mother who was absent from his life altogether, and very few friends. He did not have the easiest upbringing, but he managed to make the best of it. Yuke gave off the impression of being a successful and kind person on the outside. He graduated high school at the top of his class. After that, he enrolled at the University of Western Australia to pursue a degree in psychology. After graduating, he went on to become a disability support worker before becoming a psychologist in the mental health area. After moving in with his girlfriend in 2016, Luke had been Marie's neighbor for the previous four years. He had worked part-time at a nightclub to help him get through his degree, and after graduating, he moved on to become a disability support worker. Yuke and Marie were neighbors with a typical connection. They were not necessarily friends with one another, but they were always there for one another. In addition, he had previously assisted her in moving furniture, resetting her printer, and altering her Facebook password during his several visits to her residence. You had worked his way up through the ranks to become a psychologist by this point in his life, and with the exception of a few infractions of a less serious nature. He was an upstanding young man. And because he had a degree that was so sensitive to issues pertaining to mental health, he was someone that a lot of people respected and looked up to. But when the year 2020 dawned, a number of unfortunate events occurred, and I'm not talking about the coronavirus to begin with. Luke was given a diagnosis of both anxiety and depression. He began having panic attacks on a regular basis, and he was unable to find any inspiration in the work he was doing. And last, he genuinely resigned from his position, which, under typical conditions, would be considered acceptable behavior. However, the logic that led to this conclusion was shady. You had made up charges that one of his co-workers had engaged in inappropriate sexual behavior, and when it was discovered that these allegations were fake, the board took the matter extremely seriously. Therefore, the provisional registration that he had as a psychologist was taken away from him. Things didn't get better after that. By March. His fiancée had broken up with him, which put Luke in a state of utter devastation. He began his habit of using pot and drinking beer on a regular basis. After being fired from their job, having their reputation ruined, ending their relationship, and seeing a decline in their mental health, it's really crap. For Luke Fawcett, things had come to a head. Because he had neither money or a partner on whom he could rely, he was also in danger of losing his flat. And after that, he started drinking to excess, using cannabis, and taking antidepressants, which is a worryingly risky combination. As the cops started taking a closer look at Luke, with the help of the recently discovered receipt, They were able to determine that he had checked himself into a nearby hospital on this particular day to receive treatment for his injuries, which included a dislocated shoulder and various cuts. The footage from the surveillance cameras indicated that he arrived just after 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Therefore, the cops made the decision to pay him a short visit. He said that he had fallen down the steps while carrying a steak knife which was the cause of his injuries. In spite of this, he consented to provide the authorities with the DNA sample they requested. The receipt was already being put to extensive use by the detectives, and it did not take them long at all to locate what it was that they were looking for. At 6.43 p.m., on the evening of Saturday, April 11, Yuk Fawcett was seen by a surveillance camera at the local Bunnings Warehouse lazily wandering into the store before purchasing, you guessed it, yellow rope and blue tarpaulin. This occurred on the same day that Marie was reported missing. After that, he left the room slowly and carefully. A neighbor also came forward to report that earlier in the day. She had seen an unknown person acting suspiciously outside of her apartment. This information was provided by the neighbor who came forward. He was sobbing to himself as he paced up and down the room. The suspicious neighbor decided to take a picture of the visitor, and it turned out to be Luke. And I deeply regret this. The DNA of Luke Fawcett was determined to match the samples that were obtained from the crime site after they were matched to the DNA that was found at the scene of the crime. His blood was found splattered all over the flat, mingled with Marie's and Wayne's as well as other people's blood. It's unfortunate for Luke, but the police had no trouble understanding what this fresh evidence meant. By the time these pieces of evidence came to light, Luke already had far too many ties to the location of the crime. In addition, On April 13, 2020, he was formally taken into custody for the murders of Marie Collins and Wayne Johnson. The police had the legal power to access the man's house and his automobile once he was taken into custody. The contents of both locations were overwhelming and unsettling to the police who searched them. It was revealed that Luke had been plotting the murder of Marie for a considerable amount of time. A month before, he had gone out and purchased two stun guns as well as a set of handcuffs for himself. And although the next piece of proof isn't accessible to the general public, I wish it was. But on March 29, he posted a video of himself online in which he can be seen donning a latex mask and brandishing a knife and a taser while threatening the camera. If the individual in question did not reveal their banking information in this video, they were threatened with serious injury or perhaps with their life. He stated that we have two options, the simple one or the difficult one. If you choose the difficult path, you are going to suffer serious injuries. And if you continue to press me, I shall have no choice but to end your life. The authorities would also locate notes in Nuke's vehicle, including one that detailed a checklist that included wire ties, silent shoes, and a baseball bat. The second list was titled Interrogation, and it included spraying pepper spray in the eyes and possible hiding places. Luke said that the video was one element of a home invasion scenario for a couple that was taking place online and that the to-do lists were for a different computer game. Records reveal that he purchased a shovel on April 4, and data forensics suggest that he drove around 200 kilometers to Eastern Europe the very following day, where he subsequently dug a shallow grave in preparation. The records prove that he did this. In the same general area, they discovered a shovel as well as a duffel back. On April 6, Luke was observed in the warehouse of Bennings making purchases of tarpaulin tape and rope. And then, on the fifth day after that, it was time. Luke used trusted means to get entry to Marie's apartment on the afternoon of Saturday, April 11, and once he was inside, he shocked her and then stabbed her over twenty times. After she had passed away, he proceeded to live in the flat as if it were his own, he bathed, drank smoothies and beer, and flirted with a woman while he was doing all of these things. When they started conversing, he immediately started bragging about how recently he'd acquired a luxury apartment. Yuke became aware of the fact that he required additional rope and a tarp as he was working to conceal the body. He went back to Bennings late that evening as evidenced by the receipt that investigators discovered showing him consuming further beer and smoothies. After that, he stayed up all night, attempting to break into her bank accounts. From her bedroom window, he took a recording of the Perth skyline in the wee hours of the morning. In addition, whenever Helen sent a text message to Marie's mobile phone, Marie's boyfriend emailed Helen using Marie's PC. When Luke saw Wayne go in the front door, he was taken aback for the most part. A furious struggle broke out, and while he was able to fracture Luke's collarbone, dislocate his shoulder, and stab him four times, the attack unfortunately ended in Wayne's death, leaving the flat in much more disorder than before. Luke's shoulder was also dislocated during the attack. Luke had already contacted his grandmother at 2.30 p.m to beg for a ride to the hospital, and while they were waiting for her to come, a nosy neighbor took this shot. While he was getting treated, he did not stop flirting with his new love interest. He sent her text messages in which he referred to himself as the sexiest patient ever and in which he said things like, I wish you were here to kiss my boo better. These texts were cringe-worthy it would have been in Luke's best interest to enter a guilty plea given the vast amount of digital and forensic evidence. However, he insisted that he was completely blameless. According to him, when Wayne arrived, he suspected that Luke had murdered his sister since he had stepped into Marie's apartment and found her dead on the floor. Luke did confess to killing Wayne, but he said that he did so in self-defense after Wayne assaulted him. It goes without saying that nobody was moved by this narrative in any way. And in September of 2021, an official verdict of guilty was rendered for Luke, finding him responsible for the murders of both Wayne Johnson and Marie Collins. As a direct consequence of this, he is serving two terms of life in prison. A mandatory minimum of 34 years must pass before he may be considered for parole. The prosecutor, Justin Whaley, stated that Luke exhibited the most heinous degree of callous indifference possible, as well as a level of depravity that cannot be adequately described. As a son has lost his dad, and I, along with our siblings, have lost our youngest sister and brother, the empty seats at our table will always be continuous memories of the absence at family gatherings, said Helen who had lost her sister and brother in the process, in a statement. Helen stated that the empty cheers at our table will always be constant reminders of the absence at family gatherings. Before ever being considered for release, Luke Fawcett will have to wait until he is 61 years old. A narrative that is extremely confusing and makes no sense at all. Knowing that Luke was a psychologist for someone you would trust with your own mental health, despite the fact that he did not have his own mental health, makes this situation more upsetting in my opinion. To this day, we do not know what motivated him to take Marie's life. Neither do we know why he killed her. He continues to assert his innocence and deny responsibility for their deaths. The most reasonable explanation we can come up with is that he had some kind of morbid dream that he wanted to act out, but he didn't pay any attention to the repercussions that would come thereafter. I am confident that Marie and Wayne's family will eventually find the strength to move forward and recover from this tragedy. Thank you for following this case closely. If you found it interesting or learned something new, Please like and subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment below. I will be back soon to discuss the next scenario. In the meantime, let us all prioritize each other's safety and well-being. Goodbye.